This is the Western Sydney Health Check with Harrison and Sia. We are privileged today to be joined by one of Australia's most beloved entertainers, Emma Watkins. Emma is best known as the girl with the bow in her hair, the singing, dancing, drumming, yellow wiggle who delights audiences across the globe, always dazzling with her warmth and energy in hundreds of shows every year. But what people didn't realise was behind the scenes, Emma was in serious pain for a long time, silently suffering from a debilitating condition known as endometriosis. Just a handful of times I would have been on the tour, I was on the floor of the dressing room, I couldn't move. Emma went public in 2017 with her diagnosis and has become an endo-warrior, raising awareness of the condition and spreading hope to those living in pain. Emma, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Emma, can you take us back to the early days before you knew anything about endometriosis? What were the first signs that something wasn't right? I guess now in retrospect, I probably was suffering quite a lot from some of the pain early in high school. So I had a lot of migraines, lots of cramping in my legs and uh, actually my periods were terribly heavy. But I just thought that because my mum had terrible migraines that, that it was just something hereditary and I just had to deal with it. And really in school, period pain was described in so many different ways and so many different forms and it's something that's very hard to compare against others so I just assumed that it was the same as every other girl that was in my class so I didn't really worry that much about it but when I joined the Wiggles uh, we actually had um, not that many female cast members on the tour and so actually I noticed for many years that my cycle would either lead other women's cycles or I would jump onto theirs or what we assumed that that was happening at the time but then it was about mm, maybe eight years into the touring um, and being on the road constantly and and filming back to back that my periods actually started to um, run into each other and and the bleeding was actually um, non-stop And at that point, um, that's when I thought something was up, but I didn't actually know it had anything to do with endometriosis. I still hadn't heard the word. I didn't even know that there was such a thing. Wow. So you'd been suffering with this for many years, having never even heard this word. You mentioned that it was when your period started to run together, but was there any moment for you when you really thought, okay, this is it. I need to find out what's going on. I need to take a break. I think it was definitely from the touring. I kind of let the touring cover up for the fact that I was very unwell. And I think with the period and losing so much blood, I started to become really fatigued during the shows. It's hard to explain to professionals and and to other people about how much energy was needed for me during the shows. The traveling is one of the hardest parts because you get so tired catching different planes and taxis and buses and trains. And so it was hard for me to find control in my life or a controlled environment where I could see if it was me or it was just a lot of shows. By the time I got home, it was over a period of Christmas, I'd had an external ultrasound, which showed unusually bizarre kind of cyst-like. Because it was Christmas, nobody could do my report over that time. I didn't really get anything seen until probably the end of January that year. By that time, I was booked in for an internal and another external ultrasound 
to see what they were because I thought they were ovaries <laughs> and I obviously didn't know what was happening. And so even for me, with no health knowledge or experience, I was just looking at the screen of the ultrasound, seeing lots of circles. <laughs> I didn't actually know what they were. And obviously the lady who was ultrasounding me, she couldn't tell me either. But later on, I found out from the report that it ended up being chocolate cysts and I had quite a few of them. So at that time, I thought, okay, chocolate cysts, the colour of my blood had changed to be brown. And it was quite consistent, like every single day. That's when I was really lucky and got a cancellation appointment and I got in to see him, Dr. Jason Abbott. He was very quick um, in terms of turning me around to try and get me into surgery because at that point it was pretty bad. So you mentioned having symptoms back in school. Have the doctors indicated that if you were checked at that point, it would have made a difference to your treatment pathway? I think by the time that I'd even had the first ultrasound to the time I saw Jason, even maybe two months, it had definitely gotten worse. I imagine that I might have been able to sort out a management program, especially with my diet and nutrition and and exercise. If I'd known a bit earlier, I probably would have been able to delay the severity of it. But with endometriosis, you know, once you have it, you have it, but it's really about managing it. And now I think for me, it has taken quite a few years for me to understand the way that my body manages itself through touring and traveling and filming and what I'm eating all the time and how much I have to change my location. I think not being able to eat what you're used to all the time makes a big difference. And so now I cook on the road for myself and I have a hilarious suitcase with its own cooker in it. I've got like an induction hot plate and I try and cook for myself as much as I can. So what, tell us about the diet. So you need um, to change your diet when you have endometriosis. I was actually consuming quite a lot of dairy products, which I didn't realize um, was a huge contributor to my endometriosis pain and the severity and the dioxins in that particular kind of dairy that were actually making my endometriosis worse. And so it was really just about trying to make sure that I wasn't having any kind of GMO fruits and veggies and trying to change out the kind of dairy that I was having making sure it was grass-fed, butter, any kind of pasture-raised meat if I was going to have it. But really, up until that time, I was vegetarian. So I'd been vegetarian for about 11 years. And I've only really just gradually over the last year started adding different kinds of pasture-raised meat into my diet to assist me with my iron level. Wow, that's a big change. You mentioned earlier something called yeah. chocolate cysts. I've, I've never heard of that before. Is that related to your endometriosis? Oh. I guess they were. I think from what I can remember from that time, they were cysts that were building up with excess blood and the blood might have actually been quite old. It might have actually been there for many years and that's why it had gone brown. So it's like a, it's like kind of this old blood that was sitting in my body. It really had nowhere to go or it didn't know how to release from my body alongside the periods, I imagine. So, Emma, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the lifestyle changes you've had to implement, but we know that you needed surgery to treat your condition. Can you tell us a bit about why you needed that and what the recovery was like? At the time when I had my internal ultrasound, the pictures were quite graphic and confirming to the health physicians at the time that there was a very likely chance that I had endometriosis. And they had suspected that it was going to be quite severe 
they felt that surgery for me would be appropriate to try and at least get on top of it and try and remove as much as possible. I think from being told that I was going to have the surgery, it was only a couple of weeks, and then I'd had the surgery and then realised that I had stage four endometriosis by the time I'd got into surgery. It was a little bit longer, the procedure, than they had expected. I was pretty lucky because I didn't have that many lesions, so it was quite contained and Dr. Abbott was able to remove as much as he possibly could. But I do remember the recovery. I I guess because I use my body so much for my job um, and in my life, I wasn't ready for the kind of inability of movement that I would have after the surgery. I just could not, I couldn't move from not really passing any reflex tests. I couldn't, I couldn't drive for quite a long time and I couldn't pick up a kettle to make a tea. And uh, it was a, it was a pretty hard first two months after the recovery. And, wow, two and months. Even the six months and a year. Yeah, and I really couldn't do much. And I knew everybody else was on tour, which made me really upset. And, you know, I really missed everybody on the road. But I was able to FaceTime them from my bedroom, which was fun. Adopted a cat during the uh, the healing process. My cat, Basil, was actually so needed for me at the time. He was, he was awesome. And, you know, I think actually FaceTime was really helpful to be able to still connect with the cast and the crew that were on the tour and you know knowing that two of our friends um, covering my role on the tour in Adelaide and in New South Wales was actually really comforting and so by the time they actually got to perform as Ember Wiggle and you know I was getting sent lots of pictures and and all the audiences were you know they weren't that confused by it which I was really happy about by that time you know that made me relax quite a lot and so I was able to take that break before joining everybody for filming. But of course you are in a quite a unique position, right, in the public eye that you can't take a break without the, the whole world knowing about it. Yeah. And at the time yeah. you you went ahead and did quite a remarkable TV interview sharing your diagnosis with the world. Was that a, something of a turning point in your life? If I look back now, it probably was. And I, But at the time I didn't think that much of it. I knew I needed to tell audiences that I was going to be away and I wanted to apologize for not being there at the show I thought that it would be better to just be very open about why I was going to hospital because a lot of people at that time suspected that I was pregnant and because this was so opposite um, and actually very in juxtaposition to that kind of concept I I guess for me personally I I didn't want people to think that I was pregnant Um, and you know for me to have to talk about you know oh you're having a baby but I actually was so far from that the thought of endometriosis being an impact into even having a child I think I was quite worried didn't know if I wanted to bring up that conversation about having children or not being able to have children at that age but I just thought well I'm going in for this surgery we just have to state it so that at least the parents can understand and they can um, explain to the children that I'll be in hospital and I'll be away for a certain period of time. Really, I stepped up out of that studio at Channel 9 and walked around the corner where they had their social media team. All the people turned to me like, we have so many messages for you. <laughs> I was like, really? And I didn't, I didn't realise that so many women in Australia, let alone the world, were suffering from the same thing. Since that interview, pretty much daily get um, messages or women in the shopping centre come up to me to talk to me about their endometriosis journey. So wow. it has actually brought a lot of people together in terms of their suffering journey. And of course, during this really emotional time, you got a lot of 
well wishes from kids around the world too. What was that like having, dealing with this, getting the messages from the children as well as from all these women that you reached as well? I still have a huge box of Get Well cards from lots of children that either mailed them to the Wiggly office or they brought them to the show to give to my friends, to give to me. Well, Emma, you've convinced me to get checked, that's for sure. So for any, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I think what you were saying before about period pain and how everybody just says period pain, but nobody really understands whether your period pain is the same as the girl next to you. That's right. So would you be able to shed some light on what we need to really be looking out for? Well, that's that's a good question. I definitely was bedridden (laughs) at certain parts of the tour and, and at home and it really altered for me every month. You know, some people have a certain type of pain that they get around their cycle and they then know, they're very aware. But for me, it changed quite a lot. And then by the time I had a migraine and then really bad cramping in my legs, by the next month, I'd forgotten which one had come first or what it was like, or is this one way worse than the month before? Or maybe it's very similar to one two months before. And I think that time is really hard to remember how bad it was. But by the time you get it, you're like, oh, no, this is definitely worse. For me, I always got quite sick the day before my period came. And then in the first two to three days, I'd have quite a lot of cramps. Just a handful of times I would have been on the tour and I was yeah on the floor of the dressing room. I just couldn't move. But it didn't happen that much. My body must have known when I was either in a hotel room or in my own room. And it just was like, okay, now I just need an hour to sit down. If I had a migraine, I had to sleep it off. So I'd have to go to sleep and then hope that I would wake up the next morning with no migraine. And to be honest, I have been pretty good in managing my pain since the operation. But actually three weeks ago, I had another terribly bad episode, which I was pretty shocked by because I haven't had that kind of overwhelming sense of pain and nauseousness for a long time. Wow, I'm a migraine sufferer too, so I really feel your pain. So apart oh, from, apart awful. oh, they're terrible, they're debilitating and, you know, they're not just a headache. <laughs> apart from period pain, um, is there anything else people should be looking out for? Seriously, is so different. I mean, some people notice different senses of smell or auras, light in their eyes, dizziness, nauseousness. I pretty much get all of that <laughs> in different forms. But it it just really can depend. Sometimes people notice it in terms of their appetite, if they're either really hungry or they just can't eat anything at all. I guess that's why it is so confusing with endometriosis because it's it's just variable and it's so different for each person. And for me, it was different every month. From your personal experience, Emma, what's one thing that you wish everyone knew about endo? I guess in the fact that every woman's suffering is very different. Some people do have endometriosis and they don't get much pain at all, but then they might have it, you know, terribly for the next three months and then nothing. So it is very variable. And also that it can be very, very difficult for women to talk about. And it's really just trying to create an environment that people feel safe to have that kind of discussion because that discussion might not start with a professional, but even if it starts with friends or family, that's a really great place to start. I think if you are noticing any symptoms, it is really important to go and get yourself checked. And if you have the opportunity to get checked by more than one person, I highly recommend that as well. And for you, knowing what you know now, 
What could you say if you could go back and say something to your younger self while you were just trying to push through and deal with it? I think I would have told myself to give myself a break (laughs) and and actually go and get seen a lot earlier because I definitely had the non-stop bleeding for at least eight to nine months before I went and got a scan. And part of that was me ignoring it and part of that thought, oh, okay, must be catching on to other people's cycles. And part of it was I was just really busy and didn't put my health first at all. Well, I think that's a great message for everyone, not just for this topic, but Mm. really to put your health health first and look after yourself. Yeah. Because then you can you can be a more productive and more efficient person. <laughs> you know, you have to think about yourself as being a support for other people and also to work efficiently. And so I've realized the benefit of that now. You know, we're all still culprits of not, you know, taking our health very seriously. Absolutely. And not just more productive, but happier too. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. Emma, thank you so much for being so open with us about your experience. I'm sure this podcast will be eye-opening or ear-opening, I guess, being a (laughs) podcast um, to a lot of people listening to this. We really appreciate it. You know, I'm sure people listening would love to know, you know, are you enjoying life as a a wiggle now that you're on top of your condition and have a, a plan to manage it? Absolutely. And I think I'm grateful. This is now four years on from my endometriosis surgery. And it's only really in the last year that I've been able to settle on a kind of management plan. And I think, you know, you need to be kind to yourself and try and find the best kind of uh, program that suits you. That's great advice, Emma. Thank you so much for the happiness you bring to so many people around the world. And thank you so much for taking the time out from your busy schedule to speak to the people of Western Sydney. Um, We really appreciate your time. Hopefully, you know, if we can get at least a handful of women to come forward and check themselves out, uh, it would be a, a really wonderful outcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And it is super important to be able to talk about it as much as possible. Absolutely. Thanks, Emma, and enjoy the rest of your tour. Thanks, Emma. You too. Thank you. Take care. Finally, let's hear from Taylor with the Pulse Top 3. It's been a cracking week on thepulse.org.au, and I'm bringing you the top three stories. Three. It's estimated by 2050, antibiotic-resistant infections are projected to become the leading cause of death worldwide, resulting in approximately 10 million deaths annually. That's why Westmead Health Precinct is stepping up to the fight against antibiotic-resistant infections with the establishment of Phage Australia. The New South Wales Government, Commonwealth Government and partners have committed $3 million to the expanding research of phages, the last line defence against these infections, right here in Western Sydney. Two. A bond between a parent and a child can make miracles happen, which is why our hospitals are supporting our tiniest patients with a marathon of cuddles, also known as a kangaroo-a-thon. An hour-long session of skin-to-skin cuddles with a prematurely born baby, also called kangaroo care, can stabilise their heart rate, improve immunity and weight gain. Head to thepulse.org.au to see the inspiring story of little Harvey, who was born no larger than a cob of corn at 24 weeks. One. After dedicating half her life to helping the patients and communities of Western Sydney, Gwen Tomlin is showing no signs of slowing down. The 91-year-old Pink Lady volunteer started her volunteer career at Parramatta Hospital in 1969, assisting eye patients write letters to loved ones and feed babies who were up for adoption. She relocated to Blacktown Hospital in 1970 and remains there until this day. Gwen is the longest-serving Pink Lady at Blacktown Hospital, 
and is featured on thepulse.org.au to celebrate National Volunteer Week. I'm Taylor, and that's it for The Pulse Top 3, online all the time at thepulse.org.au. Thanks for listening to Western Sydney Health Check. This podcast is brought to you by the Corporate Communications team at Western Sydney Local Health District. Our program today was produced and edited by Carlos Furtado and Tim Dunlop. Harrison Vesey and Sia Anthopoulos are your hosts, and I'm Taylor Massingham. Find us at thepulse.org.au, Western Sydney Health on Facebook and Twitter, and Humans of the Hospital on Instagram. If you have any feedback or program ideas, email us via the address in the show notes.